the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. The following program is sponsored by Rosenthal Wealth Management. I was a registered representative offering securities and advisory services through Satera Advisor Networks, LLC, a broker, dealer, and registered investment advisor, member FINRA SIPC. Satera is under a separate ownership from Rosenthal Wealth Management Group. Rosenthal Wealth Management Group is located at 9265 Corporate Circle in Manassas, Virginia, and can be reached at 703-330-3100. Chris McKay is not affiliated with Satera Advisor Networks, LLC, nor Rosenthal Wealth Management Group. Bob Jones is a marketing assistant of Rosenthal Wealth Management Group and is associated with Satera Advisor Networks, LLC. It's time now for Making Money Sense, live with Larry Rosenthal. Larry is recognized as one of the nation's leading financial and retirement planners and is here to answer your questions right now. Author, speaker, and talk show host Larry Rosenthal is dedicated to teaching others financial stewardship from a biblical point of view. Call Larry now. Studio lines are open at 855-ROSE-123. That's 855-767-3123. Making Money Sense is on the air. Well, welcome once again to the Larry Rosenthal Show, Making Money Sense. And here he is, Larry Rosenthal himself. Good morning, sir. And good morning right back to you, Chris. How are you today? I'm doing pretty well. Just enjoying uh, having you on the radio again this week. It's exciting. Also, always good. Go ahead. Always good to be here with you. Yeah. Absolutely. Always good. You know, I think we should start uh, by you know talking about your extracurricular activities before we get into serious business. And that would be? Well, I, I noticed a few extra um, added accoutrements to the back, uh, back <laughs> wall there. Yes, I had to do this for a friend of mine. We... We were in a charity golf tournament uh, here in the D.C. area last week uh, with uh, Veterans um, uh, Association as well as the Redskin alumni. And uh, it was a lot of fun. And our team, uh, due to lots of team members that were on our team, actually took third. Uh, so it was a lot of fun. So there's a little little trophy back there. That's, that's what you see. And I was told, you need to put that on the radio show. So mm-hmm. I said, all right, here it is. <laughs> here it is, Chris. There you go. Right? Well, I wonder, but now I know the answer. So this crazy. and 50 cents gets me a cup of coffee, right? <laughs> if I that, right, with inflation. So, hey, speaking of inflation, you know, hey, well, first nice of all, let's, yeah, let's see. You got me off the game here. Let's First of all, let's go ahead and, and kick this thing off right. Good morning, everybody, and welcome. Welcome to Making Money Sense. I'm Larry Rosenthal, your host. Uh, I'd like to welcome our longtime listeners on Sirius XM Nationwide, Channel 131, Coast to Coast, Border to Border, as well as our longtime listeners in the D.C., Baltimore area on WAVA 105.1 FM on your local radio dial. It is Open Mic Saturday, which means no questions barred at all. Give us a ring with anything on your mind financially, whether it's taxes, mortgages, the housing market, insurance, estate planning, Wills, trusts, 
probate, your 401k plan, the government TSP plan, stocks, bonds, what's happening with the Federal Reserve, whatever's going on in your mind today, give us a call. No questions barred at all. 855-ROSE-123. That's 855-767-3123. It is open mic Saturday. We are handling any and all questions today. So where are we now? Well, we're just about there right now, Chris. I can actually say that this time around. Okay, we are just about there just right about now. There where? <laughs> yep, we are just about at the green light, but we're not quite yet. Mm-hmm. You know, this past week the markets rallied very strong in in pretty much the, the, the wake of significant inflation decline. June of twenty twenty two, inflation was at nine point one percent. That was the peak. Today, inflation has dropped, based off of the last reading we got this past week, down to 3%. Okay? And if you really take a look at the technical definition or the technical number, it's 2.9-something and some change. They rounded it up to 3, okay? So, so we have come way down, and hence, that was the market rally that we saw now. The question is still out there. Has the Fed gone far enough? The Fed is most likely going to raise rates uh, in two weeks, on July 26th. They're most likely going to raise 25 basis points at that meeting. But now the talk has really seriously turned to one and done. This may be the last rate hike, and then we're done. That means that we're going to have clarity of direction on what the cost of capital is in the U.S., and that is good news for the markets. The problem that we have going forward is this, is the true desire for the Fed to get, inter- to get inflation down to 2% or less, that's still not going to happen. We're going to be sticky in the threes, and, and you can just look at the math when they drop off month 13 and add month one, and then drop off the next 13th month and add month one. It's a rolling 12-month calculation. We're going to start to see it go f- sideways a little bit, sort of ebb and flow. Upper twos, low threes, upper twos, low threes from that standpoint. But, you know, if <clears throat> if you had uh, told me a long time ago, at some point in history, Larry, we're going to go from 0% interest rates to 55 on the Fed funds rate inside 15 or 16 months, I'd have said we would be in for a major, major recession, uh, a, a substantial market crash. That's not the case at this particular point, right? The economy is still strong. The underpinnings of the economy is really holding up uh, economic activity and the stock markets. And that's what the markets are doing. They're climbing this wall of worry, okay? And so when you take a look at, at, you know, history, right, history, past performance is no indication of future results, you know, and, and, and all that kind of stuff. But you have to take a look at it just to gauge some ideas of things. And, and you know, when we, when we look at, at uh, just the S&P, today the S&P is over 4,500. When we look at the S&P on June 8, 2023, it closed at 4,293. In other words, it was 20% higher than the recent uh, low closing of 3,577 back in October of 22. October 12, 2022 was the market low with all of this stuff, okay? And according, when you take a look at the definition that everybody wants to hang their hat on these definitions, according to the definition of market cycles, this indicates that the, that the S&P 500 was officially in a bull market 
okay, after it uh, uh, began the, in January 22 in the bear market. So, so, again, by this definition, the official bull market started October 13, 2022, when it ended the bear market at its lowest point. <clears throat> Which brings me to a, another scenario that I want to talk about today and want to teach this lesson here, okay? So, historically, bull markets last so much longer than bear markets. Bull markets tend to last, on the average, about five years, hmm. whereas bear markets right around one year, okay? You end up with a, an average decline of about 33% in a bear market and an average return in a, uh, of about 177 uh, over five years in a bull market. These are just stats you can look up all over the place. It's okay. always fun to kind of figure out what's the difference between a bull and a bear. Well, the bear, you know, the bear stands up and roars and you crouch down and hide, whereas yeah. a bull market charges forward, okay? okay. It charges. The bull f is, is, is charging forward. So, so there, we are not out of the woods yet because we still have to have – we still have to digest in the economy all of the interest rates that have been raised so far, okay? Mm -hmm. We have not digested that. So I do expect to see slowdown. But on the other side, we're seeing such great growth in technology because of AI and, and chat and, you know, the chat programs and just all these different things out there. And then you, then you spin back and you take a look at, well, yes, it's been led by a handful of stocks, but now we're starting to see a broader market participation, which is sort of cementing the history of this is could be the new bear, bull market going forward. Um, so, hey, let's go ahead and uh, welcome Pam on the line from South Carolina. Good morning, Pam. How can I help you today? Morning. Um, morning. I just inherited an IRA that um, a couple of them, but one in particular is at ten, right at $8,500. It's not a huge amount of money. I think the other one is probably somewhere around um, ten. And I'm, I'm wondering what I should do with those. Keep them in IRAs. I'm 62. You know, getting so, close to the retirement age. Just, just curious about what your recommend. Sure. So, Pam, there's, there's two things here. First of all, you've got the question of what you should do with them now that they're yours, right? We need right. to make this make sure that these IRAs are invested according to your purposes. Because there's a good chance that, that they were invested according to someone else's purposes before you received them. Now we need to take them and make them work for your purposes. Do you need income on them today? Do you need them to grow for, for the future for a few years before you start pulling income out? What are they invested in? What's the risk level and all that? That's one set of questions. Then the next set of questions is from a tax perspective, okay? What's the origin of this money? Where did you inherit these dollars from? My mother. Okay. Well, I'm sorry to hear about your, your mom's passing. So you are going to be under the new laws when it comes to inherited IRAs because you're greater than 10 years younger than your mom, right? So, so yes. um, you can keep that money inside the IRAs. You don't have to touch it. You don't have to take any – well, hold on a second. How old was your mother when she passed? 88. Okay, so, so here's the rule. 
your mom was under what's called required minimum distributions, and she's over 73. Right. Okay, remember, you hear your mom saying you have to take a, she has to take a little bit of money out each and every year? Yes. Yes, so you have to continue yes. doing that. You can take more out each year if you like, but you have to take a minimum amount out for the next 10 years, and then at the end of 10 years, you have to you have to liquidate the entire account so it all becomes taxable. Okay? Now, you could take it all out tomorrow if you wanted to. You just have to pay tax on all of it. But the rule is this. It used to be that you were allowed to take an income stream over over the rest of your life as long as 82.4 years, okay? Right. But they truncated that in the new Secure Act rule in 2019 to only 10 years. So you can continue the tax deferral growth, but you since your mom was over 73, you have to continue to take out income each year the required minimum distribution. That's the rule that you have to play by, okay? Now, right. again, you right. can pull it all out tomorrow if you want. You just have to pay taxes on it. Uh, so so then, the, then it goes back to that first question. Now that we understand the origin of your dollars and what the taxation rule is, how does it, you know, how, what's it invested in? Do you need to turn it into income today? Do you need to pay down debt in order that you can retire easier with your monthly cash flow? That's, those are the types of things that we have to take a look at, okay? So, right. so um, and, and you, that would be would that be the IRA? You're leaving it there, or, or, or yeah, you can leave it inside the shelter of the IRA, so it continues to grow its tax deferral. We may just change the investments around because your mom, in her 80s, may have a different investment strategy than you do in your early 60s, right? You may right. she she may be more conservative in those investments where you as you might be a little conservative but maybe want a little bit more growth over the next you know 10 20 years or so so we right. really have to now right. take a look at uh, where the money's invested and what your needs are with the money for you and your family okay that yeah. that's that's the math behind all this two scenarios what your objectives are and then the tax. Is there any way to to roll to to move that IRA without getting into another investment that may be a little more income producing or or a little more growth without so, being taxed ridiculously? The answer is yes, okay? But understand this, you have what's called an inherited IRA. So you can't commingle that with other IRA investments. In other words, let's suppose you have another IRA investment, and that's that's called account number ABC. And this new one is called the inherited account number 123. You're always going to have to have this as a separate account number. But you can change the investments inside of it to anything you want, okay? Because you can't commingle. There are certain tax laws associated with this um, inherited IRA since it did not come from a spouse. Very, very technical on this, and you don't want to make a big tax mistake uh, with it. If you want, I'll be happy to, to uh, have one of our advisors reach out to you and step you through this. But the answer to your question is you're free to choose any investments inside of it, but it has to remain in that titling of an inherited IRA account, okay? I gotcha, okay. Yep. 
Listen, I'll, I'll go ahead and I'll place you on a quick hold, Pam, and Bob will get some of your information. We'll have one of our advisors reach out to you next week and step you through it in a little bit more detail and actually also offer to do an analysis for you to see if the current investments make sense for what your objectives are, okay? Okay. Thank you so much. Yep, appreciate the phone call. Let me place you on a quick hold here. You're listening to Making Money Sense. Give us a ring at 855-ROSE-123. That's 855-767-3123. Let's bring Steve on from West Virginia. Good morning, Steve. How are you today? Hey, doing good. Uh, hey, got a question about we got some property in Florida, in Cape Coral, and we're thinking about selling it. It's golf access and all that. It's probably worth about 400 and uh, just kind of, we, we don't have any investments in the market or anything, me and my wife. And uh, I'll be 60, I'm 61 now, another year before I turn 62. Um, we do have a small trucking company that, uh, you know, runs over the road truck business and does pretty good. So I was just kind of wondering where would I put that money, you know, would I put that in the market or where do you, what would be a good plan to put something like that. It, Steve, is the, is the property now producing income for you or not? No, no. It's, it's, just a, vac it's a vacant lot. Okay. It's basically ready to build on. We were going to – we actually had property in our had a place in a couple places in Fort Myers, and, of course, Ian took those, both of those, and we were just we, – we sold what we had. We were self-insured there, and uh, – you know, so we don't have any place down there except this lot that we're going to build on. But the cost of building it just went crazy. It's so bad. we're just we're debating what to do with it because the taxes on it are going to be about three grand a year now. So if you sell the property after you pay your capital gains tax and things like that, okay, um, your, your question was should you put it in the market? Well, first of all, you should put it where you need it to grow and produce income one day for your objectives and your needs. At some point, you may slow down your work or you may sell your, your small trucking company or retire or whatever. And then, then you have to take a look at your, your income streams, which are Social Securities versus your expenses each month. And then take a look at your savings and investments. Are your savings and investments in a position that is going to deliver you uh, reliable streams of income uh, during your retirement years. So the answer to your question is, you know, if you if you do a 1035 Starker exchange <clears throat> and roll this over to another piece of land, you don't have to pay taxes on it, but still at the same time, you are still not generating income for yourself, right? So so that's the that's the big objective is is you know. Which way do you want to go? Do you want to use the markets as income? Do you want to use real estate as income? Both of them are very efficient, but they act a little different from that standpoint. So it really boils down, Steve, to what your personal financial plan is. What's your timeline on when you need this money to come back to you? you know, or do you even need this money to come back to you? Do you have sufficient savings and investments elsewhere that you can just keep money, you can keep $400,000 tied up in dirt, right, and not have to worry about it? So what is your scenario there? What do you think that you're going to need this money to do for you in the future? Uh, yeah, I mean, the business we have is probably worth a couple million, which, I mean, it's pretty much we don't have any debt there. 
Uh, but, you know, I'm just looking for, you know, what kind of income would I generate off of that 300 or whatever I salvage out of the sell of the property, three, just, let's just say 300. And on, uh, you know, if I invest that or put it in the market and I would take, uh, you know, get a check off of it every month, what would that generate for us along with our Social Security? That's why I was kind of curious. So from a from an income investment portfolio, you can build a dividend in, uh, investment portfolio with different stocks, mutual funds, bonds, and things like that. We have uh, four income models in our in our clients' portfolios: one at around seven percent, one around uh, eight and a half, one around ten, uh, and then and then another one a little bit higher. But but you know that. The, the dividends vary each year, but that's usually what they end up paying. So in today's market with where interest rates are, uh, from that standpoint, that's what I'd be thinking in the back of your mind, you know. So on 300000 at 7%, that's twenty one grand a year, you know, if you do the quick math on that. Okay. So, yeah, so, yeah, so that's, that's kind of the deal. That, pardon me? Yeah, we're not exactly sure what we want to do yet. We've just, you know, we're, we're we got a farm back in West Virginia, and that's where we're at now. Actually, Florida residents there until the storm took our place. We just, you know, to get back in to Florida to buy back in is, is pretty pricey right now. So it I is. No, yep. exactly. What? Yeah, kind of not very good <laughs> to buy. You know, so. Well, before you make a decision. L- l- what I what I would suggest is let's get you some education on how a dividend income portfolio actually looks and functions and the and the objectives of it versus what you've been doing in the land, you know, um, because if the land keeps going up, your value will go up, you know. Um, there could come a point uh, uh, in, in a certain way that you could actually try to lower down. Well, you'll have too big of a capital gain on that. Um, you know, we're we're dealing with a tax question as to when you sell the property, and that's that's what we're really dealing with. If there's a way we can get you from a 20 down to a 15 percent tax bracket in the sale of the land, then that's going to save you five percent in taxes. You know, so yeah. so you ha- you owning your own business can give you some controls over that, maybe temporarily for one year in order to save another five percent or even even more in some cases on the capital gains tax of this. So there's a little bit of math involved in that. There's two things to to show you how to minimize taxes on the exiting of the land when you sell it, and then two, give you some education on how dividend portfolios work. Then that'll put you in a position to go, okay, now I see what my choices and options are, and then I have to make a decision. So, Steve, if you like, I'll I'll go ahead and place you on a quick hold, and uh, we'll have one of our advisors reach out to you next week or so. Bob will get your contact information and sort of educate you on that, okay? Hey, great. I thank you very much. We appreciate it. Absolutely. Yep, let me put you on a quick hold here. Appreciate the phone call. You're listening to Making Money Sense. Give us a ring, 855-ROSE-123. That's 855-767-3123. You know, I was I – see, we have to take a quick break here, Chris, but I want to finish up what I was talking about in the beginning. Keep the phone calls coming in. It's your show. It's your educational hour. Give us a call at 855-ROSE-123, 855-767-3123. Listen to Making Money Sense. I'm Larry Rosenthal. We'll be back in a moment.
listening to Making Money Sense Live with Larry Rosenthal. Phone lines are open for your retirement and financial planning questions at 855-ROSE-123. That's 855-767-3123. More Making Money Sense in a moment. And we see this a lot. We don't see anybody quarterbacking things. And a lot of times it's the financial advisor right here in the middle that really quarterbacks, you know, coordinates your taxes with the CPA firm, your your estate planning with the with the attorney, the insurance. A lot of times financial advisors will do taxes and insurance sometimes together. Um, legacy planning. How do you want to to leave your assets? Remember, your assets, when you are done and you get relocated, in other words, when you go to heaven, right, you don't take your assets with you, but where are they going to go and how are they going to go? They're going to go to your heirs, to your charities, and sometimes to the IRS. And a lot of people want to minimize the exposure that goes to the IRS. Big, big financial blind spot. Investment strategies, not only today, but maybe for kids or grandkids. How are you going to transfer that information, your lifetime of investing that knowledge to them? Financial planning, multi-generational planning. Oftentimes, we find this as a big blind spot, and it's usually the financial advisor, the, the wealth manager, who is quarterbacking all of these different areas together. now with your questions, 855-767-3123. That's 855-ROSE-123. Coast to coast from the nation's capital, this is the Larry Rosenthal Show. Welcome back to the Larry Rosenthal Show. If you'd like to dial in, the phone number is 855-767-3123. 855-ROSE-123 to talk to Larry Rosenthal here in the studio with us today. Larry. I always like to bring in some questions each week that I get from either people in my office or just friends of mine or A just mailbag. people yeah yeah or just people that I hear talking or from clients and things like that and and I got this question or, or, or not too long ago <clears throat> which was you know recently here when are we going to be back at all time highs <laughs> Boy, if you could figure that one out, Larry. I, I yeah, think. that'd be a great one to know, right? <laughs> For sure. Awesome. Right. And, and and so that implies we're going to get back to all-time highs, doesn't it? It does, yeah. So then my question back to the person was, the United States stock market is the greatest creation that man has made for wealth creation it's the greatest machine in the world that man has made for wealth creation why would you ever get out of it if you're telling me well when if your are we investment gonna, when, is bad right if you've got a bad company that gets south or whatever you gotta get out of yeah it. but why would you get out of it well not completely right you wouldn't get it. that's my point if you're saying hey you know i'm on the sidelines right think about what has to happen 
I'm going to try and tie this together around these other phone calls. What what has to happen in order for the market to hit a low? Uh, All the sellers have to be done selling. Right, the demand's got to be gone, right? All the sellers have to be gone. So in order for the market to hit a low, all those sellers have sold out, yeah. and the market drops. Okay? okay gotcha. And then eventually, for whatever reason, news, information, whatever, data points, comes back in, and the market starts to go up again. Well, remember, the market is a forward-looking mechanism. Okay? We're not out of the woods yet. We still have another rate hike from the Fed. We still have issues in the economy. There's always issues in the economy. It's never a perfect time to invest, Chris. It never is. But if you're sitting there asking, when are we going to get back to all-time highs, my question back to you is, why would you leave it to begin with? Why would you step out? And my point is this. There are people that are still sitting on the sideline from last October saying, no, 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 no. It's not safe yet. It's not safe yet. Okay, or throughout this year. And so why would you get out of it to begin with? Yes, you can rebalance, but you stay in it. You continue to own your shares because when the market starts to bounce upward the way it has, the first couple of months is the biggest returns in the market when it's coming back. That's when you want to buy, when there's blood in the street, when it's when it's down. That's when you want to buy. That's this one of the secrets to wealth creation. Buy your shares when they're low. If you love ABC Company at $100 a share, why would you not love it at $82 a share? Yeah. Right? Unless there's something gone wrong in the product or the management. But if it's just a temporary pullback, and remember, almost 7.5 out of 10 years long term, the markets are winning. Winning. Right? Yeah, but you've got some an emotional – you have emotional attachments at some points and sometimes where you pull that trigger just because – you get a little bit scared, honestly, you know, and so you got to be careful. No doubt about it. Yeah. But still, if you take a look at, at – at, so look at that question right there, okay? You, you have an investment account, and you have, let's say, 10 positions in it just to do math easy. And let's say three or four of those positions are what we call quiet money. Three or four of those positions – have very little growth, very little volatility. It's the growth components, the other five or six or seven positions in the account that go up and down with the markets long term. Those are the ones that are going to help you outpace taxes and inflation and deliver the income to you through your 60s, 70s, 80s, and 90s. But the quiet money, those pool of dollars are the dollars that are there in case you need a new car or in mm. case you need something here or there's an emergency or something like that, right? Those are the dollars that are quiet inside the account. So if you ever call, and that happened to me a, a couple of times this past year where a client called up and said, hey, we've got a situation, this, this, and this, I need some money, but I don't want to take any money out right now because I know some of the stuff is down. Well, guess what? I showed them their, their quiet money in there and they're like so we're not really losing much at all i said no let's pull the money out you see what i mean so so it goes to portfolio construction there 
So, so now those six or seven long-term pieces inside the portfolio, Chris, they go according to your risk spectrum, sure, your risk tolerance sure, yeah. level, right? Mm -hmm. If you say, hey, I'm conservative, then those ones are more conservative. If you say you're aggressive, then those ones are more aggressive, and anything in between. But do you really want your quiet money in there doing nothing? I mean, it's got to have some... I said it doesn't make much and it doesn't lose much. It's okay. still earning compound interest. Oh, that wonderful When you part. get out of the market, you take your compounding away, whether there you it's go. bonds or stocks or whatever it is. You know, and, and so, so, yes, it doesn't earn a lot. And today we have been given a gift on the quiet money. It used to be, you know, last year, quiet money was earning zero, right? <laughs> Today, quiet money's earning a few percentage points. So that's creating another wealth effect in the economy yeah. from a standpoint of, of people are actually getting paid to sit out right now in government T-bills, uh, corporate bonds, money market accounts, things of that nature, which, by the way, money market accounts are being examined a little bit here. Um, there was a new um, uh, bulletin out the other day uh, that we're talking about. The, the SEC has adopted some new money fund rules uh, recently that's going to go into effect here pretty soon. And, and um, you know, the, the, the funds are going to be required to keep at least 25% of their holdings in, in instruments that mature in one day, which used to be just 10% and at least 50% of their assets in holdings that mature within one week, and that used to be 30%. So bottom line is money market rates, as a result of this, may come down a little bit in the yield, uh -huh. which gives us another opportunity to invest in government T-bills, which is usually better than, than money market rates anyway. So we're starting to see some of these things come back to normalcy a little bit, uh, you know, as far as all that goes. How so, about CDs so, right now? What are your thoughts on that? CDs, again, it, it, it is a cash or cash equivalent, bank accounts, checking, money markets, CDs, yeah. high interest yield accounts, government T-bills. These are cash or cash equivalents. Gotcha. So at the end of the day, you need to be earning, you know, 7 8% or so over on your overall on all of your money, Chris, in order right. to right. long-term keep pace with taxes and inflation. We've talked about that for years the, the important thing about investing is maintaining purchasing power, right? Maintaining purchasing power. You want to be able to take the same amount of dollars into the grocery store down the road and buy the same amount of goods with, with, that, with that money. That will give you the ability to maintain purchasing power. So if you have all of your money in, in positions that are earning less than 8%, then essentially what you're doing there is, is – not keeping pace with taxes and inflation. When you add up your tax rate, inflation rate, you want to get a 2% net compounded return, and that, that's the break-even point, right around 8%. So if you have money sitting in the banks earning, let's say, 3 or 4 or 5 in a CD, where's the rest of your dollars? So aggregately, the entire household has to be earning uh, you know, on a long-term basis a little bit more than that. Uh, just to just to make sure you're keeping pace with taxes and inflation long term. Inflation is is uh, you know everybody knows about inflation now because we just went through a very large amount of inflation, right? And we still have uh, pieces of it sticky: housing, rents, mm -hmm. and food. Mm -hmm. Okay, I was talking with a client oh, the other day about 
you know, why is food so expensive, they were saying. And I said, because we keep eating out, <laughs> you know. And when we're not eating out, we use food delivery services that were born out of COVID, yeah. okay. Yeah. And so so it still counts as, quote, unquote, eating out, you know, when it when it, when it Well, I don't out, know. Even the price at the grocery store, I mean, I, with the Costco bill the other day, was like, whoa, what's this all about? It was a lot higher food. than normal. Yeah. Yep. We are eating. We we are we are doing a good job of eating, <laughs> okay, okay? Um, when when it, when it comes to it. So anyway, so hey, there's some new types of investments out now. Um, uh, you know, let's let's stop beating around on the economy here and get into some some education. When we take a look at mutual funds, the old standard, and then ETFs, exchange traded funds. Um, you know, it, history was exchange traded funds would just buy an index. You know, like the S and P 500 or you can't invest exactly in the index, but it would just buy things that, that mirror the index. Uh, and the, all the different indices out there, large cap growth, large, small cap value, whatever it may be, technology, banking, financials, whatever it may be, was an index. <clears throat> and now, in, in history, um, when these came out, it was more of a market-weighted index. In other words, the the, the most valuable stocks, in other words, the stocks with the highest price, with the most outstanding shares, had the largest market cap. And, and so they would be the, the number one in the index, and then the number two and three and, and all the way down. And so it became a very what we call market cap weighted type of an investment. So, so in looking at this now, there are there are different types of ETFs out there now that are called what we call smart beta ETFs, and so we'll get a little deeper into this right now. And and they they are what we call in in the industry factor based. Okay, factor based, which means maybe the selection of the stocks inside of the ETF bucket isn't necessarily based off of market weight, but it might be based off of momentum or price-to-book analysis, or P.E. ratios, or dividends, you know. Uh, yeah, maybe it's a good dividend one, but what's the history of the dividends? Maybe it's based off of a stock has to have increased their dividends each year over the last eight years, okay? Um, so, so there's a lot of different ways now that when you look at an ETF, be careful as to what you're buying. I have seen S&P 500 ETFs that are factor-weighted outpace the traditional market cap weight and vice versa. It really depends on what's the construction inside that ETF. In other words, Chris, all cheeseburgers don't taste the same, right, at different <laughs> restaurants. Fair enough? That is true. All ETFs don't act the same and are not constructed the same. Know what you own and know why you own it and why you would make a change. Earlier this year, we changed one of our ETFs in the same space to another ETF because of the different construction on it because of things that we saw in the economy changing, okay? It's not actively managed, but it can be constructed differently, right? That's correct. An ETF is not actively managed for the most part. Now, they're <laughs> trying to get a little... Sneaky on that. Sneaky right, yeah. but... But um, uh, but but it, it's actively managed by an advisor, but at the same time, you, you hit the nail right on the head. It's constructed differently. And that's something that's very interesting to really take a look at when, when people say, hey, Larry, analyze our investments here. What are, we, what are we doing? 
a lot of the a lot of the times we see behind the scenes diversification. Mm -hmm. In other words, mm -hmm. we've got a set of mutual funds, a handful of stocks and ETFs, and the majority of them are invested in the same place. Okay. Yeah. And they're constructed the same way. They just have different branding on them, different manufacturers, different fund companies are, are producing them, or ETF companies. Don't trust so, that book by its cover, right? It's the, right, exactly. Yeah, so yeah. take a good look at the construction of how your ETFs are built and, and, and where they're tilting or leaning away from or toward uh, from that standpoint. It, it will give you a different rate of return and a different market experience. Mm -hmm. Hey, you're listening to Making Money Sense. Give us a ring at 855-ROSE-123. It's open mic Saturday. Any questions that you have at all, 855-767-3123. Listen to Making Money Sense, and I'm Larry Rosenthal, and we'll be back in a moment. Money Sense live with Larry Rosenthal. Phone lines are open for your retirement and financial planning questions at 855-ROSE-123. That's 855-767-3123. More Making Money Sense in a moment. still too many countries that give little or no assistance to disabled children. In third world nations, these children could be left alone while parents try to eke out a living. About 10 years ago, residents of Prince William and Fauquier counties in Virginia formed Children with Disabilities Fund International. It focuses on the needs of disabled children. CDFI's current work in Jamaica and Kenya supports about 300 disabled children and their families. For some of these children, they're getting the care they need for the first time in their lives. CDFI recently began an individual child sponsorship program in an effort to better meet the needs of these disabled children. To choose your child to sponsor, go to thecdfi.org. That's thecdfi.org. Your gift will help transform not only a disabled child's life, but the lives of their parents and of the surrounding community. Go to thecdfi.org. Make a difference. Go to thecdfi.org. That's 855-ROSE-123. Coast to coast from the nation's capital, this is the Larry Rosenthal Show. Yeah, we'd love to hear from you if you'd like to jump on those phones with any questions you have for our financial guy here in studio. Mr. C, uh, what they, what's your uh, designation? Certified financial planner, right? That's what they call you. One of the things. Uh, one of the nice call things. Me that, one of the nice one of the things, things they I call have, you. Right? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> eight five five Rose one two three. That's eight five five seven six seven three one two three. Larry. Yep. So Chris, again, you know, we 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 often talk about money and creation of wealth and and how all that works, and it's all up to the Lord anyway. It's all His. And in Ecclesiastes eleven two, it says. Uh, bring the whole tithe into the storehouse so that there may be food in my house. Test me in this now, 
says the Lord of hosts, if I will not open for you the windows of heaven and pour out for you blessings until it overflows. Mm. In Proverbs thirteen eleven, it says, dishonest money dwindles away, but whoever gathers money little by little makes it grow. There's no get-rich-quick schemes, right? And when people that wouldn't try be good to stewardship get, either. I mean, it, it's just it, not. It is about stewardship. Yeah. You know, this is all the Lord's, and, and God's going to take care of our needs. It's very clear in the Bible that he says that. And then what are we to do? We need to be a conduit, a pipeline to put money back into his kingdom, right, uh, for, for, you know, helping uh, missions that have Christ-centered direction and, and stuff like that, you know. So, so what is the giving plan? We talk to a lot of clients about what is your giving plan? How are you doing this? What's the most tax-efficient way to give? Donor advised funds, trusts, annuity trusts, you know, whatever it may be. Uh, different things like that. So, so <clears throat> take a good look at it, at it all, and uh, you know, a lot of these things go into your financial plan, without a doubt. So, we were talking about a little bit of portfolio construction today, and and we were talking about examining or X-raying, if you will, the construction of your ETFs. Well, we we also take a look at at when when you're building a portfolio, an investment strategy, you've got cash. You've got bonds or fixed income, and then you've got equities. Well, you know, we need something that's kind of in the middle there, and that's a balanced fund. Okay, now years ago, these things were called balanced funds. Today, they're called allocation funds or target-based funds. But these are mutual funds that have a combination of both stock and bonds inside of them. And they can shift back and forth. They can go 70% stock, 30% bonds, 60, 40, 50, 50, whatever it may be. Is it like a portfolio mixed up into one fund? Is that kind of what that is? Yeah, pretty much so, yeah. Yeah. And these are what we would call cornerstone funds. These are funds that are... That are sort of the the, the cornerstone. They they very or core, I would say. They're your core holdings. They they very rarely change. Sometimes you you subtract a little bit out of them. Sometimes you add more to them. Uh, the, and and so they are a base. They're designed for growth and income at the same time. And if you stop and you take a look at this. If you're – let's not talk about IRAs right now. Let's talk about non-IRA accounts, okay? Non-IRA accounts, you start building these up early in life and contri- continuing to, to contribute to them, okay? Yes, you have to pay a little bit of tax every once in a while on some dividends or capital gains, but you're reestablishing that t- tax basis so that when you're in retirement, you don't have to sell something large – pay a huge tax, and then move it into these funds that are designed for growth and income production at the same time, you've already got it there, and it becomes more tax efficient for you if you've been saving in this fund all along the way. Now, this is for non-IRA accounts, okay? Um, and, and so when you look at how much money should be in cash, how much money should be in bonds, how much money should be in stocks or equities, now you also have to look at how much money should be in the, in the core of a balance fund or a target date fund or an allocation type fund. Uh, these funds do a lot of the heavy lifting in good times and in bad times. They really do. And they're not all built the same again, just like we learned earlier today with our ETFs. Okay? You can have a target date fund of, let's say, 2040 that's built differently from one company to another. 
You can have an asset allocation fund that's built differently on a 70-30 chassis from one mutual fund company to another. And the way you dissect it, the way you sort of unpack it and really take a good look at it is you go back and you look at the performance holdings, not necessarily the performance of the fund. Yeah, you always look at that, but, but you look at where the fund lives in its space. Okay, so you can go back and say, well, the stock portion of this fund is sitting in large cap blend now, and it's been in large cap blend for five years. But every once in a while, it'll go to large cap value or large cap growth. Well, the good thing about it is, is that sh fund showing you that it has flexibility to move and change as the fund management team sees that dynamic changing happening in the marketplace. So now you have this core type of a fund that's doing a lot of heavy lifting in your portfolio for you based off of how they're viewing it. And, of course, if you don't like it, you can switch it out to a different one, right? Um, so you know, for some reason, I did this whole thing. I'm seeing pickup trucks and sports cars because you started talking about a chassis, and I'm like, sports cars go really, really fast, and trucks go up and down and climb and all of that. So you can kind of compare this to sports cars and pickups, maybe. You can. You, I, definitely. That's for sure. You can s compare it to Lots of a lot of things. <laughs> yeah. Sports cars and trucks. But there for me go. to understand, I'm a simple guy. That kind of makes yep. more so sense. Let's get me. some. Let's get some analysis from Chris because he's <laughs> in a sports car. Let me tell you. Okay. When oh. We look at Chris's investments. Room. There you go. And there's nothing wrong with that either, right? Is it going up? I'm okay. Uh, that's right. That's exactly right. That's for sure. So, <laughs> you know, when 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 it boils down to this, um, you, you want to have balance. You want to have diversification. And you want to have the ability to deliver streams of income from reliable sources in retirement years. And then you've got the whole turn the page, and then you've got taxes. Well, how do we minimize our taxes while we're in retirement years? And how do we minimize taxes when we're passing assets on? Those are all big, big type, type questions. So, you know, and, and going back uh, uh, to another question we had earlier, which is when will we be, when will we be back at market highs, right? Okay, well, why would you ever get out? Well, if you're introducing new money into the market today when it's not quite at a market high, but it has had a very, very significant bounce off the bottom, the best way to do it is through dollar cost averaging, is to take a little bit of the money each, each month, every week, every two weeks, every month, every quarter, whatever it may be, and start buying more and more shares so that you're just moving, you're sifting your money, you're trickling the money back into the market uh, so that you're not buying it all at one time. Uh, that'll give you a, a good chance to get an average price over a long period of time. And uh, that's, you know, that's one of the things that you need to look at as far as uh, putting you know, new, new dollars into work today. And let's go ahead and welcome Julie on the line from Texas. Good morning, Julie. How are you today? I'm good. Thank you. How are you? I'm well. How can I help you? Uh, my question is, I feel like I, I've had a lot of investments over the years, but I feel like I'm still very blind to everything. Um, and you mentioned ETFs. Does that include common stock? I'm so, so an ETF, well, you got cut off there. You said, does it include common stock? So Yes. So inside of an ETF, think of it as a basket. And inside that ETF, there are shares of different companies, okay? And those shares right. are common stock of those companies. 
So you could go buy common stock of ABC Company, okay? You can get 100 shares of that, right? And, and, or you can go put money into an ETF, and that ETF may own, you know, five shares of that, but it also owes, owns five shares of DEF Company, ABC, you know, XYZ Company, and all the different companies out there. It gives you greater diversification. So an ETF okay, yes. is a basket of stocks that are held inside one ticker symbol, okay? So it's a way that you can be diversified. And the difference between owning individual stocks, an ETF, and a mutual fund has a lot to do with how, how it's constructed, the ongoing management of it, and the tax efficiency or tax inefficiency of all three of those, okay? And so, okay. yeah, kind of a lot there. I could probably teach a whole hour class on just that, that last statement right there. But did I answer your question as to what an ETF is inside, yes. what, what is inside of an ETF? Yes, and I do have them. Now that you said that, I know what I, I have. Um, and my, I have one more question, and it is my broker, you know, has been telling me how, I, how much I'll have, like, when I'm 80 or 90 years old. And, yes, I'm getting scared right now because a year ago, you know, I was up 100000 And so it really scares me. But I know you were talking about what, kind of what goes down comes up. And so do I need to be worried? And the other thing is I have a lot of money in one stock. And if I sell, I'm going to have a huge capital gain. And that worries me, too. But I think maybe it's better to sell and pay that capital gain than just have so much in one basket? Well, Julie, there's a couple of different things in there that we can sort of uh, dive down into. And, and the first okay. one is, should you be scared? Well, let's do this. Let's, let's approach that part from a different lens. And let's say, do you understand your risk tolerance and why you own the things you own? In other words, inside your overall investments, do you have what I call, called earlier on the show today some quiet money, some money that if you need to, 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 you know, to get a new car, it's there. It doesn't lose and it doesn't go up a lot, but it's stable, okay? Um, do you have the need for income today? Is a portion of your portfolio producing that income for you while the rest of it's growing for yourself down the road? And what is the risk level of all three of those components? That's the first thing that you need to become comfortable with, okay? So okay. I can show you how to break that down and give you an example and, and so that you'll understand in good times and in bad how those different components of your portfolio is going to work. And the next thing is you, it sounds like you have a high, high concentration in one stock, and it doesn't sound like yeah. it's inside of an IRA. So if you sell it, you're going to have to pay capital gains on it. Now we need to Good. look at your tax scenario, okay? If we mm -hmm. have a long-term capital gain scenario happening, is there a way that we can get your income on your tax return down into the, the uh, 10 or 12% income bracket so that when we do look to sell some shares of this stock, you're not paying the full 20% capital gain. You might be paying 10 or 15%, or okay, lower capital gains rates. And you can look at your, your total income 
and say, you know what, let's let's try and build some money into the bank account and so that we can sell some of these shares and save 5% in taxes. So there's a way that you can do that. Julie, listen, I'm going to put you on a quick hold here. I've got uh, music in my ears, which means we have about 45 okay, seconds left in the show. Let me put you on hold, and I'll pick you right up after I close out the show. Actually, Larry, that's I think that's a false that's a false start there. I don't know why I did that. So we still have a little more time left. Oh, okay. Well, then never mind. Chris says I can keep talking, Julie. How's that sound? All right. Good. So, uh, yeah, exactly. So, so you have some opportunity to look at how to start selling off systematically some of these shares and possibly save yourself about 5% in, in capital gains tax if we can get a copy of your tax return and see how your taxes are there, if we can minimize some, some income uh, while we're kicking out some of these capital gains to you. That might help you as well. Okay, so, now we're, now we're so, low on time. Oh, now we're on Three-star general Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal record to the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com, salemnow.com.